newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mr. Media Project is an opportunity for a half hour of commentary and analysis on the news media issues of recent days. And we hope that you will stick with us as we go through this and perhaps even join us and share your thoughts later. I'm Rex Smith, editor-at-large of the Times Union, and I am here, here, I say remotely, in the era of coronavirus with Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. Sir? I'm definitely here. Put it another way, present. Okay. Uh, we have Rosemary Armeo, a longtime investigative journalist and UAlbany uh, journalism professor. Are you with us, Rosemary? I am, also remotely. Here we go. Here we go. And Barbara Lombardo, a longtime editor of the Saratogian, executive editor of the Troy Record, and teaching journalism as well. I'm with you. Never again I'm yet. With you. You know, these are such tumultuous days in the country and therefore in the field of those who report and document on what's going on, making it difficult, in fact, I think, for journalists to deal with the sheer volume of news. We have so many big stories on top of us, one after another, that it makes it difficult. And I have heard criticism, and we've seen it in recent days, of the stories that are not getting covered because of the dual huge stories of the race in American society, the aftermath of the George Floyd death and the coronavirus on top of it. What can you do? Is there a solution to this? Do we need perhaps to come up with some new form of storytelling to deal with the fact that there is so much bad news going on that is buried in effect during the pandemic? Alan, you've only got so many hours of programming available. Do you have any thoughts about what you might be able to do at WAMC? Well, we do. There's a couple of things. First of all, like everybody else, we have a very, very good website. And much of the material can be found there. But, you know, this public radio station that I'm involved with is very different from the exigencies of other, you know, public forums like newspapers and others in that, you know, we have something like eight reporters and each of them do a story a day and a small story a day. And quite frequently, those stories will be the kinds of things you're talking about that traditionally have been left out. Now, that may be because we have, we're lucky, you know, we're doing well in that our listeners are supporting us. The money has come in, in fact, more money than in any drive we've seen before. And people understand how important it is. And so they're supporting it, and it makes it easier for us uh, to do what is not being done in newspapers. I mean, I'd love to know from the editors on the panel, of which the three of you are and have been, which of these two stories takes precedence, because that's what we're getting. We're getting those two stories again and again and again, to the point where I say, I'm turning off the radio or the television because I've seen this already. So Alan's point is that WAMC is doing it and nobody else is. I think I heard that right, Alan. Uh, well, Rosemary, well, do you have well, yes, thoughts yes. on that? 
Well, yes, you do. <laughs> I, I, I do have some thoughts. Personally, I think that the best way to end the problem of so much bad news, there's not room or time to get it all, is to vote out Donald Trump. But I don't really have thoughts on how to do that. And also, it's not a media issue. As for the media, I think that we have always triage. We're never going to have as many reporters and resources to cover all the stories that deserve it. And never has that been more true as downsizing as continuing coronavirus has gutted many newsrooms so that even covering coronavirus has been something of an issue. So we're always going to have triage, and that means the story that you most care about that's not getting cover will bring home the issue to you more strongly. I know that environmentalists right now are rightly screaming that we're not covering the way the regulations continue to be degraded by the Trump EPA. I wondered the other day, where's Ben Carson? You know, what's happening with housing? We haven't heard anything about that, and it is related to racism, but on the whole, I think that that's a problem, and I wish we had more reporters and more newspapers and more other outlets to tell the stories. But until that happens, triage is the best way to handle it, and I don't think there's any argument that institutional racism and the current protests about it, police brutality and, and coronavirus are the stories to concentrate on. 36,000 journalists have either been laid off or furloughed, had their work cut short as a result of the financial constraints that the coronavirus imposed. So we're we're even shorter handed now than we were before. So Barbara, what do you think? I think that the news media, especially on television where people turn to the most, the media outlets need to be able to handle more than one story at a time. So where it was the pandemic and nothing but the pandemic 24-7 or so it seemed, then suddenly that went way to the back burner in favor of the Black Lives Matter, which George Floyd's death, which is appropriate, but not totally at the expense of the pandemic. There needs to be more balance so that we're not forgetting about something that was suddenly a huge story and now it becomes the afterthought. As far as the but other see, news, I don't see that. I, I, I see that we are covering You, you see a balance stories. of both? Maybe I need to flip do, do, do channels don't, more. Do you really in the, think in, that coronavirus has disappeared, Barbara? I guess I wouldn't say disappeared. I would have misspoke if I said disappeared, but it certainly wasn't getting the prominence of coverage that it was before. You could go through 10 or 15 minutes of a newscast before you'd get to meaty information about the coronavirus. I'll mm-hmm. watch this to see if I could be corrected. But as far as other news, I think you're right, Rex, that the things that our government is doing needs to be updated repeatedly. Maybe one way is on news websites. You've got your Black Lives Matter news, you have your pandemic news, and maybe there's an other news, something that's quickly accessible in small bites with links to longer stories so that there's a presence, a presence of other news. I don't think it's accurate that we haven't covered some of these other stories. Alan, I mean, I don't think you really intended to say that we haven't covered other stories. No. Uh, only WAMC has. I was only being no, funny no, about no. that. No, no, no. Yeah, me too. And I, I just meant better. We cover it better than anybody else. Uh-huh. Excellent. <laughs> okay. But, you know, the winds of change are blowing. As we speak this very morning, there has been a resurgence in the United States, which is now being noticed by all the media, of COVID cases. And all of a sudden, COVID, which had been taking a little rest, is at the headline, is at the headline stage in so many places. So when something changes like this, when people are dying, it becomes a bigger story again and overtakes perhaps the other story of the moment. 
Here becomes a difficult uh, issue, I think, for journalists because it is the effort by the White House to minimize the peril of COVID-19, I think, because it serves the president's re-election campaign if the focus is on a rebounding economy. If Wall Street doesn't cooperate and keep plunging up with whatever index you want to cite, then it is problematic. But for us to continue to cover the hazard of the coronavirus while the president is going out and doing rallies, as he is about to do, while we see the loss of some of the standards that have been in place to try to restrict it, we're going to have to keep our focus on it, I think, and not let the White House set the agenda. Along those lines, Rex, the president is suing CNN for giving bad news about his electoral prospects. That is something that this bully president has always done. CNN is standing its ground and, you know, I'm going to sue you if you give news that I don't like. But that's a sideshow, isn't it? There is no legal uh, case that can realistically be made. In fact, it would be bold of a judge to throw out the lawsuit and sanction the lawyers for frivolous lawsuits, which, you know, can be done when a case is brought that has no legal merit. Those are officers of the court, those lawyers. And I would suggest that CNN's lawyers might want to make a motion for sanctions based upon frivolous lawsuits. But he's not doing it for legal reasons, so he's doing it for PR reasons. Same as Devin Nunes suing CNN seems to be a big sport among Trump administration people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would remind you that Trump is appointing a lot of judges. And if you take a look at the Supreme Court and the judges who have been appointed by Trump, they've got almost 100 percent, with the possible exception occasionally of John Roberts, the chief justice. They do exactly as expected of them by the man who appointed them or who they owe their allegiance to. But it's unlikely a case like this would get to the Supreme Court. Won't won't go anywhere. Won't go anywhere. Absolutely. We've had a problem from the very beginning figuring out what's real news to cover in the Trump era and what's just a distraction to keep you from bigger issues, which is the issue we're talking about right now. You have major, huge stories, global stories. No one would disagree. We should be covering them. But what do you do about everything else? That's still important, just not as important as those two things. And it's odd that it's happening now when we have, through the Internet, the space to run all those stories. You're not limited by pages in the newspaper anymore or minutes in a broadcast. And yet we don't have the people to do it. We don't have maybe the expertise as we're losing more resources in in the news business. People do need this. And it's one of the reasons that efforts to continue to keep local news strong are so important. Absolutely. You know, there is coverage. For example, we've had a lot of coverage on inside pages of the Times Union in recent days of environmental stories, of issues of the federal budget and the impact on people's lives. But it just doesn't quite get as much attention. And I think that it is a media consumer issue as well. How much information are people willing to take? How much can they absorb? And what gets our attention gets us. And our attention is diverted, of course, to the matter of life and death with the coronavirus, to what is also for many people a matter of life and death with the racism that's inherent in society. 
the racism issue, the question of how we cover that is significant for the media because it is an outgrowth of who we are as well. We talked about this in last week's show, but it bears further examination, I think. We have, throughout the country, newsrooms that are very white. It's very difficult to recruit journalists of color to hear more voices. And I wonder if there are smart solutions to this, if there is any way that we can do a better job of reflecting the reality of society for the non-white Americans, if we could do a better job of that somehow than we have been doing. You know, Rex, you've been talking about this for years. I know you have, and I have great respect for you on two levels. One, in terms of the difficulty of recruitment. Now, you would think if one of the questions is, well, how come people who are black and brown don't get the jobs? The answer is not because Rex Smith and the Times Union weren't trying hard. I know you were, and I know we do at WAMC. But it may come down to, and I'd love to hear what Rosemary thinks about this as a professor and Barbara. I think that young, talented, black, and other diverse people have lots of openings in our economy. And so why would, given all that opportunity, why would they pick journalism where the pay is lousy and the job security stinks? So I think that there's always going to be a problem getting more black voices. Also, during the time that I was an editor, we did a pretty good job recruiting and then we couldn't keep people. And worse than that, when we had those black voices, we turned them into the same as white voices. We edited out their story ideas and the voice that they wrote with so that they sounded like just any other white reporter, middle-class reporter. And I also think that the current problem is more generational than racial. And the dispute over, and we talked about this last week, the op-ed written by Tom Cotton in the New York Times led me to think of that. 800 staffers at the New York Times objected to an editorial that I myself said last week, yeah, I would have run it, no problem with it. I didn't agree with it, but that's what an op-ed is. And people said no, and they were right. And that editor has since left. So has a top editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer. They're old white guys, but I'll tell you, old white women have the same problem. I didn't see anything wrong with it. And yet I've said on this program, Trump is different. We have to cover him differently. And now at least at those two papers, they are looking at it. They are saying we do have to do it differently. Op-eds cannot go in if it's just a difference of opinion. I don't think we have the standards set, but we need to be looking at them. I was embarrassed yep. for myself and the profession reading the articles having to do with Bennett's resignation from the Times and the um, Philadelphia Inquirer resignation, that there was an undercurrent of culture, a white culture in the media that I would never have intended to do that, but maybe I was doing the same thing in my own newsroom yes. without really realizing yeah. it because it's ingrained. It's not meant to be harmful, yeah. but you don't even realize you're doing it. So it was eye-opening to hear from journalists of color speaking up about how they have felt, and that on top of what kind of baloney you have to take when you're doing this job, it does make it difficult to diversify. But I am still troubled by the notion that we would not publish something that – well, listen to these words by a man named Robbie Suave who writes for Reason. He says, Cotton's op-ed was poorly argued, constitutionally unsound, morally questionable, and factually flawed. But Cotton is not some random right-wing kook. The fact that he is a key policymaker of the Trump era 
might suggest that publishing his authoritarian dictates is a better course of action than keeping Times readers in the dark about them. We've always said, this is departing from him, this is Rex speaking, we've always said that sunlight is the best disinfectant. That's borrowing the words of Justice Holmes. Isn't it the original argument in favor of publishing this was that people ought to see what important officials are saying? Yes? That's true, but with an asterisk. And the asterisk has to be not allowing blatantly provable, measurable, false statements go unchallenged because it carries the weight of truth when it comes from a state senator and it's not challenged. I mean, it could have been well, the U.S. senator, but I reread it afterwards and, and there's I nothing mean, blatantly the untrue about it. He argues that it isn't white supremacists. It was Antifa who was interrupting all of the protests. <laughs> That's what the president factually of the United untrue. States was saying. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Is it factually untrue? We can't say in an asterisk editor's note, this is not true. You don't do that in an op-ed. The whole point of view of it is skewed because he's Tom Cotton. And I guess that's, that, that's only partly true because in the stories on the Times editorial, and, and I don't know if you do that at the Times mm-hmm. Union, Rex, they would send things back to the writer. Take this out, change that. You can't make. Oh, this absolutely. Thing. We do so that all the time. We get. Things. And so, the, mm-hmm. even though he's saying the same terrible thing that the president of the United States was saying, doesn't mean that we should let him say it unchallenged. And admitted he had never read the editorial. So you kind of lose your argument right there. You can't defend an editorial you haven't read ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Correct. That was a – certainly there was a professional flaw on the part of the editor, James Bennett, uh, the uh, New York Times opinion pages editor, that he was not on top of it, and the op-ed editor, Jim Dow, who also resigned. Um, They weren't – I should say that we try as best we can at the Times Union, and I'm sure they do at the New York Times – we don't publish opinion pieces that make assertions that cannot be verified. We tell people you can offer your opinions, but you are not allowed to lie on our pages. So if there was anything factually incorrect in that, they should have sent it back to him, should have excised it, and I think also shouldn't have used the headline they did, send in the troops, because it was a dangerous headline. We are losing the main point, though, because if that had been caught and it had been changed to something acceptable, like many think Antifa is involved or the president has charged, anything that would make it technically factual, it would not have changed the tenor of that op-ed, and that's what people on the staff were objecting to. In Philadelphia, there was a really excellent article, and it was all about how buildings being destroyed in the protests also had important meaning to the black community, and that that was a shame. You understand the reason for the protest, but look what you're losing. In the meantime, there's a cost to them. And it had a horrible headline on it saying, Buildings Matter Too, seemingly equating inanimate objects with black lives. And over that stupid headline, graceless, but a man lost his job for it. I was going to ask a question. I want to poll the panel. How many people on this program believe that that editorial, that column, should not have been published? Cotton's piece, because it's very hard for me to get that we're going to start censoring other ideas. Look, we've always on WMC had the other side. Herb London or Rich in the morning on the panel uh, who have presented another side. I, I have real problems with this one. I do. And I wonder what everybody else thinks. Just vote. Yay or nay, they should have published the column. Rosemary. Well, I think, yes, they should have, but the process by which it got into the paper and what other editorials they might have run alongside should have been different. Barbara? I, I, along the same line, I, I agree with Rosemary. It should not have run as it did. But should it have run? I guess, yes, but it makes me sick. We don't owe it. He has no right to have it run in the in the paper, but you want to see what 
they are what he is saying. You want to you want to expose what his point of view is, but you need to do it with the counterpoint next to it, so you're not just giving it the weight of truth. Well, but do we do counterpoint when we have a great liberal column? When somebody says something about the president that people disagree with, do we always say, well, okay, we have to have another column sitting right next to it, which gives the other point of view? I don't think so. We don't. So basically, no, is no. yes. The Washington Post every day Sometimes. runs two awful conservative columns to give the Trump point of view. Yes. <laughs> so there. And Rex, over to you. What do you think? I think it should have been published with a different headline, but I disagree with those who say it shouldn't have been published at all. The black journalists at the time say this puts our lives in danger. Uh, but I think that when you have a United States senator making an argument that is authoritarian and supports the president's authoritarian tendencies, we need to let the American people see that. I think it's worthwhile. You know, it's difficult for us to deal with journalists themselves having points of view and, and knowing how to allow them. This is uh, especially a big deal these days because of the use of social media. You know, our reporters are all on Twitter and in other places, and the concern is uh, their own points of view being put out there. Axios, the digital website, is saying it's fine for their reporters to even be involved in protests. We discourage that from our staff. We don't want people to be engaged in political activity. We hope people will avoid making partisan statements on their Twitter feeds. Is that out of touch with contemporary communication? Is that limiting the speech that we should be encouraging to give different points of view from our staff? Well, let me just say an executive of one of the public radio stations was seen at a rally, and that shouldn't happen. That person shouldn't be there. Well, I was at ours in Great Barrington. It was terrific, but I wasn't there as a protester. I was there. I was covering it. I thought it was great. So this gets to be very hairy, and this guy made the point who wrote, who tends to favor NPR, let's put it that way. He wrote and he said, you're all representing NPR. Bull duty on that. We're not representing anybody besides ourselves. And I was quite angry with this person. Yeah, I think it's really old style and out of date to say they don't express themselves. They still have those feelings. Whether you are marching and admit later, yes, I march because I believe in this, or you don't march because your media outlet policy forbids it, but you support people who are marching by letting them stay in your house and giving them dinner so they can come into the march. I don't actually know anyone who did this, of course. It's the same thing. That's still a person who has a point of view. And I think transparency uh, should be the new measure, not this fake objectivity. I thought Ben Smith addressed that well. He's the media writer for the New York Times, and in his recent column, he he had a line from Wesley Lowry saying, American view from nowhere, objectivity-based, both sides journalism is a failed experiment. We yep. need to rebuild our industry as one that operates from a place of moral clarity. And I think that's a good point. Maybe the pendulum has to swing back a bit. I agree with you, Rex, that you have to be careful about not participating in things that would clearly make it apparent that you're taking a side. You have to be careful about your tweeting if you if you're supposed to be a journalist who needs to represent needs to be able to write in an objective way but we have to redefine what we're talking about as objective and fair I think that's right you know the Pittsburgh Post Gazette uh, came under fire appropriately because uh, the editors pulled a couple of journalists off the coverage of the demonstrations 
the journalists were African-American. And the explanation to them apparently was, you can't cover this without bias. And the notion that a journalist can't cover something without bias because of their race is a sickening idea. That's like Trump, you know, the Mexican judge who couldn't cover his case because he was Mexican. Right. And, of course, President Trump is frequently critical of journalists of color. I mean, his approach to Yamiche Alcindor of PBS is remarkable. But we in newsrooms ought to be more thoughtful about that. You know, there is a New York Times reporter who covers a lot of these demonstrations who has written pretty thoughtfully about the fact that because he's African-American, it gives him the empathy to be able to cover some of the stories. It gives him access to people in his in, in the African-American community. And yet he is fully confident that when he goes back to write the story, he can apply professional standards and be an effective storyteller. And I think that's where good journalism training comes in and where the standards of the profession really kick in. And you have always said that, Rex, when you say why you want to have African-American and Latino reporters, it's because they do get access in places where white reporters just wouldn't. It's a fact. Yep, it is, which is why we need to continue this effort at diversity and why this conversation is so important. But we've run out of time, and so the conversation is going to have to continue next week. So I thank you all, Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, Alan Shartok, and thanks to our producer, David Gustina, and to you folks for joining us this week once again on The Media Project. Got a people's fight to wage, tingling-ling newspaper guild. Got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent us all. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. She wanted money to buy a new fur coat. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at WAMC.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Now newspaper men are such interesting people They used to work like hell just for romance But finally the movies notwithstanding They all got tired of patches on their pants They organized a union to get a living wage they joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspaper men are such interesting people. When they know they've got a people's fight to wage. Ting-a-ling-a-ling newspaper guild. Got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the world. Publishers of such interesting people Their policy is an acrobatic thing They claim to represent the common people It's funny Wall Street never has complained Ah, but publishers have worries For publishers must go 
To working folks, for readers, and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising. Get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. 